Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. And right now, without further ado, waiting patiently, stage left. Good morning, Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. About got blown in here. Ooh. Windy out there today. It's going to get worse. Yeah, yeah. It's going to get worse. But sun's shining. Anyway. Yep. So, what are we going to talk? Now, we have really made a concentrated effort the last couple of weeks to talk about trail drives and the hazards of the trail drives, etc. What are we going to talk about this morning? We're going to talk about a character, two characters actually, that contributed to the cattle drives, okay. participated in that. All right. So, uh, you know, about one out of every three cowboys uh, was of African American or Mexican descent. That's right. So now that's a fact that's seldom reflected in you know the Western novels, films, television series. You don't see that. But the guy we're going to talk about is Nate Love. Mm-hmm. He was born a slave in Tennessee in 1854. But after the Civil War, he, his imagination was fired by the colorfully dressed, free-spirited cowboys of the West. Now, his father was a slave foreman on the plantation's fields, and his mother was the manager of its kitchen. Now, Love had two siblings. He had an older sister named Sally and an older brother named Jordan. Now, despite the slavery-era statutes that outlawed black literacy, you know, they, they, they didn't allow them to learn That's or right. to learn how to read. Yep. He learned to read and write as a child with the help of his father. Mm-hmm. His father's name was Samson. Right. So when slavery ended, Love's parents stayed on the Love Plantation as sharecroppers. You know, back then they kept the name of the owner of the plantation. A lot of people don't remember that, but the real last name on most families was never known. Right, exactly. So they kept the name of the plantation owner. But anyway, his dad uh, attempted to raise tobacco and corn on about 20 acres, but his dad, Samson, died shortly after the second crop was planted. So afterward, Nate took a second job working on a local farm to help make ends meet. Now, he's about 14 or 15 right now. Right, okay? right. Now, at about this time, he was noted as having a gift for breaking horses. After some time of working extra odd jobs in the area, he won a horse in a raffle. And he then sold back uh, the horse to the owner for $50. He used the money to leave town, and at the age of about 15 or 16, he headed west. Mm-hmm. So th- this is Nate Love. So about 1869, uh, like I say, he left the South to become a cowboy. He made his way on foot to Dodge City, where he was attracted to a Texas outfit with several other black cowboys. He was offered a job if he could ride a rank horse named Good Eye. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it seems like every every ranch had a horse that nobody could ride, yeah, right? and you know, it's funny. That's depicted in a lot of the movies and everything. Remember the, the movie Monty Walsh? I, yeah, a little bit. Well, that was an excellent cowboy movie. You ought to really take time and watch that. But there was a bay horse in there that was really the kind of the center of the movie. Oh, yeah. That could not be ridden. Yeah. So right. anyway, so they said, you know, if you can ride this horse named Good Eye, you you might have a job. Okay. Well, as I mentioned, Love had broken colts for a neighbor at ten cents a piece. Ten cents. Ten cents a piece. I, they'd have to give me a lot more than that. Ooh, baby. But anyway, he was able to stay on board the horse, so he began his career as a cowboy. So booted and spurred, sporting a bright bandana and a broad-brimmed white hat. Mm-hmm. Can you picture that? I've got oh, a picture. Yeah. I'll show you here yep. in a minute. He worked as a cowhand driving Texas Longhorns to Kansas for several years. Mm -hmm. So 
Anyway, after the Civil War, more than 8,000 black cowboys, including Nate Love, made their way west and worked the cattle drives. And again, you don't see that in movies, really. But in 1876, Nate Love helped trail a herd from Arizona to the Dakota gold mining boom town of Deadwood. Right. And while he was there, he entered the Centennial Independence Day celebrations. And he related that he won a roping competition, a shooting contest, and right there he said, the assembled crowd named me Deadwood Dick and proclaimed me champion of the Western Cattle Country. Right. You've heard of Deadwood Dick. Many, many times. <laughs> okay. yep. Anyway, so Love thereby laid claim to having been the inspiration for the famous dime novel character yep. Deadwood Dick. Yep. Now, there's some controversy on that, though. But the immensely popular dime novel was the creation of a guy named uh, Erastus Beetle out of New York, and the development of steam-powered high-speed printing uh, made it possible to reach the mass audiences with pretty inexpensive literature didn't the man that wrote the dime novels on deadwood dick didn't he also the author write the dime novels on wild bill hickok uh, custer hickok carson buffalo bill uh yeah i a lot of times the same guy did a lot of that yeah. and, and yeah, yeah. Uh, or he had writers that did it for him. Right. Okay, so we're talking about Nate Love. Now, and the character of Deadwood Dick, uh, which he received, was instrumental in establishing the kind of the heroic outlaw as kind of a staple of a lot of movies and novels and television series. But actually, there were 33 Deadwood Dick dime novels, as well as 97 Deadwood Dick Jr. sagas. So... But, uh, you know, in October 1877, uh, Nate Love writes that he was captured by a band of Pima Indians uh-huh. okay, uh, while he was rounding up stray cattle near the Gila River in Arizona. And he claimed to have received over 14 bullet wounds in his career Holy with several, <laughs> several received in his fight with the Indians while trying to avoid capture. Fourteen? Fourteen. But Love wrote that his life was spared because the Indians respected his heritage. Well, if they respected him so much, how come they come sh- well, kept I, shooting at I him all the time? Just, I guess they just wanted to nick him a little nick bit. Nick him you know, a yeah. little bit, okay, yeah. yeah. But uh, they respected his heritage because, you know, a large portion of the band of Indians themselves were of mixed blood. Yeah. So, yeah. But this band of Native American Indians nursed him back to health, actually, wished, wishing to adopt him into the tribe. And eventually, Love writes, he says, he stole a pony and escaped, escaped into West Texas. Mm-hmm. But he, he has a statement here. He says, mounted on my horse, my lariat near my hand, and my trusty guns in my belt, I felt like I could defy the world. Really? Yeah. I'll show you a picture here in a minute. Okay, good. But, uh, you know, by this time in the real West, the trail drives were kind of ending. Uh, the nature uh, of ranching was changing, and uh, large numbers of black cowboys were trying to find more stable work uh, because it only worked during the summer months. So during the era of open range uh, ranching, most cowboys were employed only seasonally. So during roundups and trail drives, by the 1880s, the cowboys like Nate Love's generation no longer were young, footloose teenagers in search of adventure and excitement, and many men decided it was time to settle down and raise a family. Right. So this is what Nate Love did. He said he gave up cowboying in 1890 and became a Pullman porter on the train. Uh, oh, okay. okay. Remember yeah. that? And this was a reliable job and generally available to African Americans of that period. And in 1907, he published the only book-length uh, autobiography, 
autobiographical. Let me say that again. Autobiographical. I don't. You, what you Forget just, the word. What you just said. <laughs> account of a black cowboy. It is titled The Life and Adventures of Nate Love, better known in the cattle country as Deadwood Dick. Right. So, in addition to his claims about being the prototype for the famous fictional shooter, uh, Love stated that he was a friend of Bat Masterson yeah. and that he had met Billy the Kid yep. in 1877 and had various experiences with uh, the Kid and Pat Garrett during the Lincoln County War. Really? So now, he, was he there? Well, it doesn't say he was there, but somehow he was acquainted with those guys, so he must have been... Near that area, I'm guessing. Well, Garrett and Billy the Kid never, according to what I've done a study, they never really left the greater surroundings of New Mexico. And, and you know, maybe that's where he ran into him. I oh, okay. you know, don't know. But anyway, Nate Love fearlessly endured two decades of what he calls harrowing escapades. In fact, he says, I gloried in the danger. He related a series of sensational ad- adventures from the skirmishes with the Indians, which I just mentioned about being captured. And then he says, I carried the marks of 14 bullet wounds on different parts of my body, most any of which... 14 w- bullet wounds <laughs> covers most of your body. It does. And he says, most any of which would be sufficient to kill an ordinary man. Yeah. But he says, I am not crippled. His books read somewhat like a Deadwood Dick novel. Oh, my but goodness. Anyway. And we don't know how verifiably true that is. No, because, you know, if any story's worth retelling, you've got to add a little to it. Oh. Right? Is that what you're doing? No. no, no, no. This, okay. is, this is fact. I see. <laughs> but, you know, Love either had a bad memory or a very good imagination. <laughs> We're not quite sure. But, you know, uh, his, uh, Nate's love was not the inspiration behind, behind the fictional Deadwood Dick. He spent most of his life as a cowboy, but he was an adventurous man who went west to become a cowboy during the heyday of that captivating profession, and he was an African-American who spearheaded the movement of his race into the west, and embellishing the deeds of this life with a little good-natured exaggeration. Let me ask you, though, he went on to be a porter, you said, on the rail system, Uh and at what age? Uh, It was about 20 years after he was born, so I'm going to say about he was only about 35 really? or so by then. Yeah. And he married and had a family. Yeah. Now, did. what town did he live in or reside in after he got married? Um, you know, I'm not I was just sure. curious because I thought uh, I read... I, I think Denver, actually. I thought that's what it was. Yeah. And I heard a rumor that... Uh, in one of my books on the shelf, as a matter of fact, they said that a lot of his descendants are still living in the greater Denver area. Okay, Actually, I do have a note here that he married his wife, Alice, in 1889, yeah. settled down initially in Denver, taking the job as a Pullman porter. Right. And then uh, while working through the railroad, he and his family actually lived in several western states before finally moving to Southern California. Oh, he went to Southern California. Yeah. Now, I do have something out of his book that I'm going to read to you. Okay. I think we've got enough By time. the way, let me see his picture quick. I want to see that. Okay. Uh, he was kind of a flamboyant guy, yeah. wasn't he? Yeah, look at and, that. And really, uh, today, he would look a lot like... Um, Oh, various pro football players with a little bit longer hair, honestly. Yeah, yeah. He's a pretty well-built, strong-looking guy. He does. I mean, he just looks tough. Yeah. So. And go ahead. Okay, so I'm just going to read a little about it from his autobiography. Okay. I got that one out. 
Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for. Okay, in the spring of 1876, orders were received at the home ranch for 3,000 head of three-year-old steers to be delivered near Deadwood, South Dakota, this being one of the largest orders we had ever received at any one time. Every man around the ranch was placed on his mettle to execute the order in record time. Our route lay through New Mexico, Colorado, and Wyoming, and as we heard rumors that the Indians were on the warpath and were picking up something of a rumpus in Wyoming, Indian Territory, and Kansas, we expected trouble before we, uh, before we again had the pleasure of sitting around our fire at the home ranch. What year was that, by the way? 1876. So that was the same year that the Indians hit Custer. Yes, in fact, it's, it's mentioned in here yeah. a little bit. Uh, he says, quite a large party was selected for this trip. Owing to the size of the herd and the possibility of trouble on the trail from the Indians, we, as usual, were all well-armed and had as mounts the best horses our ranch produced. And in taking the trail, we were perfectly confident that we could take care of our herd and ourselves through anything we were liable to meet. We had not been on the trail long before we met other outfits who told us, as you just mentioned, that General Custer was out after the Indians and that a big fight was expected when the 7th U.S. Cavalry, General Custer's command, met the Indians. You know, and let me ask you right there, Doc, pardon me interruption, but didn't you do a story one time a couple of years ago about a cattle drive that was going on at the same time, and maybe this is it, as the Custer Massacre? You know, there was, and I would have to look back in my stories to see which one. Yes, there was. But anyway, he says, we arrived in Deadwood in good condition without having had any trouble with the Indians on the way up. We turned our cattle over to their new owners at once, then proceeded to take in the town. So that's the story of Deadwood Dick, or Nate Love. Uh, Do we have enough time? We've we've got about six minutes left, and I really would like you to hit Bill Pickett a little bit. Let me go through Bill Pickett. Okay. Um, uh, One of the most famous of all black cowboys was Bill Pickett, born in Texas in 1860, Pickett is said to have been hired at age 13 at the famous 101 Ranch in Oklahoma. Now, have you heard of that ranch? Mm -hmm, Absolutely. So when he was about 20 years old, he created the sport of bulldogging, in which a rider leaps from his horse and wrestles a full-grown steer to the ground. As he perfected his bulldogging technique over the years, Pickett found that he could get a struggling steer to submit more quickly if he bit its upper lip. Yeah. Now, in the early 1900s, when the 101 Wild West Show was organized, Pickett accompanied such well-known cowboy stars as Will Rogers, Tom Mix. On the wide-ranging show circuit, he performed in Madison Square Garden. He actually went to Europe and later returning to Oklahoma. And actually, in 1971, Pickett 
became the first African-American ever inducted into the National Cowboy Hall of Fame in Oklahoma City. And Bill Pickett was quite a bit like Nate Love as far as the flamboyant attitude and everything. Actually, they kind of looked alike in some respects. Yeah, and you know... Back then, you know, the segregation thing was somewhat in effect. But when you got out west, uh, in fact, it says that cowboys judged each other by how well they could ride, shoot, tend cattle, and stand on their own. Uh, Family breeding, nationality, and race didn't make any difference. I mean, if you could do the job, and there were a lot of African-American black uh, cowboys. And this is what's really surprising. You bring this up, and it's so true, and I've read it in history books and and, uh, all through my life of uh, studying the American West. But in movies uh, and TV series, I can only think, and tell me if I'm wrong, of one instance of a black actor playing a part of a cattle drive cowboy, and that was Danny Glover in the series Lonesome Dove. Uh, Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, You know, the, in my uh, book here, it says that they also took on positions of authority, and actually such as a ranch foreman, a trail boss, a ramrod, and for that time, that was pretty liberal, because that didn't happen in the South. No, and think of like the movies back in John Wayne's era, when he made that famous movie called Red River. Yeah. Remember that movie uh-huh. about a Texas cattle drive? There wasn't one single black actor playing a cowboy. Yeah. But, again, it was how well you did your job. Yeah. And these guys were great at doing what they did. And uh, so two of the best cowboys that ever lived right there, Nate Love and Bill Pickett. And, again, whatever happened to Nate Love? Did he die in California? You know, it just says that he he last uh, moved to Southern California. Uh, Oh, he died in 1921 at the age of 67. 67. Uh, actually, it says uh, he spent the latter part of his life as a courier and guard for a Los Angeles securities company. Really? Yep. So I'm guessing he's got to be buried. Well, I don't know. And what about uh, Bill Pickett? I don't know. I don't know about him. Um, did he die of the cowboy lifestyle, or did he, too, also move to a more urban setting? You know, I, I don't have that much on him right now, uh, so I don't know what happened after the after he went to Europe and, yeah. you know, performed and one thing or another. So, but uh, I, I need to find that out. You know, out. one of the things we need to talk about, and I saw a very interesting report on this the other night. I was watching, I think it was the History Channel, but I'm not sure. And it was the evolution of firearms in the Old West, you know, from the cap and ball up to the bullets where mm-hmm. they actually yeah. used the bullets and everything. And you ought to do a report on that because a lot of people think, and the movies are atrocious at distorting the facts. Yeah. You know, where they'd slide the bullets in, reload. They didn't have them until later part of uh, the Old West. I mean, a lot of it was still the cap and ball and the powder type yeah. thing. I've actually been uh, emailing back and forth a guy named Sam that uh, knows a lot about Wyatt Earp and the Buntline Special. Yes, yes, and, yes. Uh, anyway, he's got some very interesting information about the Buntline Special and Wyatt Earp. Why don't you put a program together on that? And the little Derringers that oh. all the gamblers had. Yeah, they all. Yeah. 
Yep. And they said that the gamblers were the best shots in the West. Well, that's because they're only about four feet away from their partner. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) Not their partner. You're about four feet from me. Be careful. (laughs) I know. I probably still miss. Okay. Now, that was a good story. What are we going to talk about next week? I'm sure you've already got it planned out. Oh, I've got it all planned out so well that I don't even remember what it was. (laughs) I see. I see. No, I love these series. And we're getting a lot of calls and letters and uh, emails. They love your segment. Well, I guess some comments on my web page from people, and uh, I appreciate getting their comments. Oh, boy. A lot of things have changed. And really, when you think about it, here we are in the year 2017. And in some respects, we haven't changed a lot since back in 1877, 78, right in that area. You know, I love traveling in areas where I think has never been disturbed. Yeah. You know, up through Montana or over along parts of the Oregon Trail going to to, uh, Portland. There's areas there that I picture the, the Wilson Price Hunt uh, crew going through there and some of the other Oregon trails, the, the Whitmans. And, yeah. And it, it has to be almost exactly like it was so when, when they you went sit through. There, when you sit there on those old trails, did you ever envision that basically you're like with them at that time? Kind of. I'm thinking, yeah. you know, what would it be like to walk, which a lot of them walk. I That's mean, right. You know? That's right. Probably more walk than road. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.